I just want to talk about the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. You know it. You've, you've preached it more than I've read it, probably. But the parable of the talents, the master was going away. He gave to some five, and he gave to one five. He gave to one two, and he gave to one one, right? And he said, add value. Add value, and then I'll be back to check. Okay, so he went away. Now he's back. And he goes to the guy with the one. And he said, what did you do with what I left? He told him they had value. He said, what did you do? Remember, the guy, first thing the guy did, was, as we see a lot in ministry, he's smoking them with all his stuff. You know, oh, I know you're this and you're that, and all this gibberish. You know, marginal deception, messing around here, try, smoking people. Let's get rid of that, too. That's leaven. Get it out of your ministry. But here, so this guy's smoking them first, and then he said, and so what I did was I buried it. I buried it. I didn't, I didn't lose anything. Here it is exactly the way you gave it to me. And he was so proud of himself, right? Same amount. Back, didn't lose anything. Buried it. And what did the master say? You wicked and lazy or slothful servant. You did nothing with what I entrusted to you. Nothing. Now let's t take the same parable. That was the parable of the talents as it related to precious metal. They gave a monetary equation to precious metal called a talent. But let's take the talents of people and apply the same principle. The moral is the same. So God gives us, he entrusts those to us. And he gives, he entrusts one with five, and he trusts one with two, and he trusts one with one here. And someday he's going to be asking, what did you do with the person that I entrusted to you? What did you do with them? And if we're like the guy in the first parable, well, God, you know, here, here they are, back to you. I didn't ruin them. I didn't mess them up. They're exactly the way you gave them to me. And he would say what? You wicked and lazy or slothful servant. And we wonder why we don't have more leaders. Well, the question is to ask is, what have you done with the ones he gave you? What's, what's happened? Are they, have we added value to them? What, what did he do in the first parable with the guy who had five? And who added value? What did he do? What did he do in the first parable with the guy he gave five to? He gave more. Yeah, so if you wonder why you don't have more leaders, what, the question you ask yourself is, what are you doing with the ones you got? There was a pastor that said, uh, I cried out and prayed to God. God, I, I can't seem to build my church. I can't, I, we can't make any headway here. We can't, we can't make, we, we're not building, we're not growing. Crying out, God, so what's wrong? What am I doing wrong? He came to a training years later. And in the middle of the training, right about a point like this, he raised his hand, he was already crying. He raised his hand. He said, my water, I said, yes, sir. He stood up. He said, my water just broke. <laughs> yeah, meaning he, it was just revelation. He just got some revelation. Something was just birthed in him, okay? And, and, then, he's, and then he started to explain it further, and he said, he said, I was in room 518 in a hotel in Virginia Beach somewhere, and I'm crying out to God. How come I can't build my church? What am I doing wrong? Help me. And, I can't, and God spoke to him right there and said, I can't send the harvest until you train your people to disciple them. 
I can't send the harvest till you train the people to disciple them. And it was years and years later when he sat in the training and his water broke and he saw, now I see what I'm not doing. We're not discipling. We're not training. We're not building, developing people to meet the needs of the people God's sending. Not the leader doing it, the leader ensuring that that happens through the use of teams and those that have been entrusted to the leader. We're in the transformation business. God's in the transaction business. He wants our mandates. He wants these transacted. But God is also in the, and first and foremost, he's in the transformation business. And so just like Jesus, we're supposed to transform people in the process of doing God's transactions. They're both important. They're both important. But we're supposed to transform people in the process of doing his transactions. That's how you build succession. That's how you build generalists. That's how you build a legacy. And that's how you survive. And that's how God gets his work done. So we're going to learn how to, well, we're just still warming up here. But I, I, I got I to gotta help you see, and the ones that are going to be on the Internet and listening now by Internet or DVD are going to want to know the importance of all this to prime the pump for change. But let me give you an example of the world system. They know this. I, I've said that several times, but let me, let me give you an example. If you looked at the top 100 companies, the Fortune 100 companies in the U.S., and we looked at what company, the question would be, what company sent more? So here's 100 of them, okay? The 100 top companies in the U.S., what company sent the greatest number of executives to become CEOs of these top 100 companies? What company was it that could send? See, that's another word we throw around. We throw around discipleship, but we're not doing it compared to the way the world does it. And we talk about, oh, we're senders of people. Well, we, we can send them to six time zones that way, or we can send them up in the organization to handle situations like this. But we need to be sending people. And you can't send people if you don't train them, if you don't disciple them, if you don't keep them first and then, and then train them to be sent, whether it's there to the flag or whether it's to up in the organization to take on more responsibility for God. So what company was this? Well, it was GE. And they had GE here and GE and GE. And I don't know how many GEs and I don't know where they were on the spectrum here. But it was GE. The boards of other companies would said, where are we going to get a, a CEO that's going to build this company and turn it around and reinvent the way things get done around here? Because we're not doing well. So where can we get the best leaders? Get them from GE. Well, and they did. They were stealing them from GE, the headhunters. And you say, well, they must be out of business, right? I mean, you lo they lose that many people, that many senior executives, they're finished, right? No, anything but. In fact, in the 14-year, Jack Welch was the guy that was the CEO. He'd have been in the, he's retired now six, seven years, but he would have been in the, in the uh, CEO Hall of Fame because he, they had a culture. They had a culture of learning up to his start, but then he, he parlayed that. He made that huge, and he invested a huge amount of his time he didn't call it this, discipling his people. 
so that they had leaders all over the place. And they, ha and they didn't miss a beat. They had steady compounding increase for 14 years, so much so that if you'd invested $10,000 here when Jack started, 14 years later, you'd have had $100,000 here. That's how successful they were. That's a kind of return that God's looking for, but he's not getting that. 10,000 to 800,000. Why? Because they discipled their people. They have a world-class training center. They have a, chief, a CLO, a chief learning officer, making sure that people are learning at every level of the organization, not just a few top executives, but everybody in the entire organization is learning. We're going to look at that. But you say, well, they must be out of business. No. In fact, back here they were an appliance company. That's about it. Now they are in 11 major industries. 11 major industries, aerospace, biotech, healthcare, entertainment, I mentioned, and uh, finances, and six more. 11 major industries. They had to have a CEO. They lost all these, potential CEOs. They had to have a CEO for every one of these new companies, times 11. They had to have key executive team under each CEO times 11, and then real competent people under each of these times 11. And they lost all of these. And I get a call from a pastor one day. And I said, Pastor, how you doing? And in a very solemn voice, he said, remember Pastor Bob? I'm thinking, yeah, I remember him. Really bright guy, really neat guy. Remember him? You know, and then, he, then he, next thing he says is, you'll never believe what happened. And, I, you know, this is all like in eight, ten seconds. But I'm thinking, wonder what happened. You know, was he the, the guy that got flattened by the train conductor in California that was on the cell phone and went right through the intersection and flattened the guy and his wife and kids? Or did, the, did their car go off the cliff and, you know, bounce off of rock protrusions and body parts? I mean, this is what I'm thinking, right? And you never believe what happened to old Bob. And then I said, what, so what happened? And he said, you never believe this, but God's sending him to India. We're finished. What a ripoff. We're done. We lost old Bob. That's it. Pack it in. Fold the shutter. Fold up the tent. Nail the shutter. Shut. We're done. We lost old Bob. And that's the way it is in ministries. We lose one or two key people and we're finished. And too many of you are that way. We have no depth. We have no depth. They can lose all these people and build all of this. Why? Because they know how to disciple people. Now, one more. Les Wexner, who hired me from New York to help him build the ministry. Actually, he hired me to build brands for the ministry, to build brands. I mean, that was one of the things. Communication, a whole bunch of stuff. But one of the things, he said, I want you to build brands. For you come from Madison Avenue, and you know how that works, and you build us brands for so that when they come to the mall, you know, we got the anchor stores on the end, and the anchor stores are the cow catchers. They bring them into the mall, but then we're going to have brands in there that only the limited has, and people are going to see those, and they're going to go shop elsewhere, you know, but we're going to be the only ones that have them. They're going to be so compelling and so attractive to them and so desirous that you're going to make happen, then we're going to sell them, and that's what we're going to do, okay? That's one of your jobs, so make it happen. 
and so we we started you know building brands that that was but he, he I left there I was there six years we I told you already we we 120 stores and in six years we had over six divisions some of them over a thousand stores because we were the way I'm gonna be teaching here and so he's he uh, um, I left there in like 84 and in 90 I read this this case study when I when I, or 91 when I was preparing to go help pastors I was studying business school case studies so I'd have, so I could share some things with you and I read about less and I didn't know this and uh, he and he said and in the case study uh, he hit a five billion dollar ceiling so he got up here and he hit a five billion dollar in the limited stores a five billion dollar ceiling couldn't go any further he hit a stone wall hit a stone wall that's as far as he could go and and see up to that point he was well at, back here he was the second richest guy in America next to Bill Gates that's why I had so much stock there so many stock options and God said you got to leave him behind but uh, but he was the second richest guy to Bill Gates and he continued to grow he was the darling of Wall Street here he was on the cover of all the business magazines and everybody was writing about him. Genius, genius, until here. And it, now he's an idiot. Now, now, now he's, you know, I know about, I know what it feels like for you. No matter what you accomplish, there's always somebody. And, and th this is the scary part. <laughs> that it's not so much the critiquers. It's the ones that told you yesterday, Oh, Pastor, you've changed my life. Oh, oh, praise the glory to God, Pastor. Your sermons, and they're never there again. That's the last you ever see them. Those are the people that are scary. So, so a $5 billion ceiling. He didn't know what to do. He's embarrassed. He's frustrated. The stock's plummeting. He's losing millions every day because he had billions. I didn't have a lot of compassion for him, but, you know. <laughs> but the point is, he hit a $5 billion ceiling. Why? Why? Well, he didn't know. So he did one smart thing, which this process is going to encourage you to do, and that's seek counsel. So surround yourself with common sense, wise counsel. And so he went to three people that he respected and knew he could get an audience with and who would tell him the truth. That's an important part. If you're going to have people working for you, that tell you the truth. <clears throat> so he went to Steven Spielberg at DreamWorks. He went to Jack Welch at GE. And he went to Callaway at PepsiCo. And, he's, and he asked some questions from his own frame of reference. Because he didn't know what was wrong, but he knew what he was doing. And he said, so from his frame of reference, he said, do you do this? Like, do you get involved with new product concepts and new campaign, new initiatives for the move the thrust the ministry forward? And no, no, we don't get involved with that at all. We hire people smarter than us to do that. No, we don't do that. We don't do that stuff. Oh, what about this? I mean, do you, do you get involved? And he's just started ticking off the things that he was doing. 
They said, no, we don't, we don't do that either. We, we've got, we hire people that are, we've got people on our teams that are brighter than we are. No, we, oh yeah, we check it, make sure it's consistent with our brand, make sure that it's, you know, the, the, uh, the, our DNA, it's part, of, it's the culture we want to represent to our customers, whatever it is. We check that, we, we're past muster on these things, but we don't do them. No, we lead this whole thing. We don't do that. And it, he finally got so frustrated. He said, so what do you do? What on earth do you do then with your time? What do you do? What am I missing? And they all told him. They said, we spend 50% 50% of our time discipling. They didn't say discipling. They said training and developing our people. 50, 50 50% of our time training and developing our people. If you, they said, if you, can't, if you don't do that, you can't sustain the growth. The stock will not continue to compound every year, 15, 10, 15%. People stop investing. I get fired. The board fires me. So we got to have this. So we have to have steady compounding increase. And the only way that's going to happen is if you invest your time as the leader in developing your people. Otherwise, you cannot sustain that growth. He said, that's what my problem is. That's exactly what the problem is. And I'm not doing that. What was he doing? He was hiring specialists. He wasn't developing leaders. He wasn't discipling leaders. He wasn't ensuring that, we were de- that he was developing leaders. He, was hire- he hired people like him, marketers, merchandisers. Oh, they knew how to, they knew how to uh, forecast market trends. They knew how to shop the markets around the world. They knew how to calculate the turns on the inventory. They were geniuses at that, but they didn't know how to transform other people to become more valuable to the corporation. So they were just silos of marketers, of merchants. Silos of merchants. They had no leadership. They ran out of leaders. See, it doesn't matter whether you're a $5 billion company, a 50-member church, a 500-member church, a 15,000-member church. It doesn't matter. When you run out of leaders, you run out, you're finished. So we better start keeping the ones God sends, and we better start training the ones we keep. Are you getting this? So 50% of their time they spent training and developing leaders. He said, that's, not, that's what I'm not doing. I'm hiring people just like me. No, it's smarter to hire people not like you. Get them alongside of you. They'll put something in you. That's why God puts them in here, because there's something he wants in, that you got in them, but there's something in them he wants in you. That's why they're with you also. So he hit, he hit that rock wall. And he said, that's, what, that's not what I'm doing. Then let me tell you a couple more things. He, he hit a rock wall, but he made a change, and he started to a de- leadership development program. And they brought in, and, and because, they, they had, because like you will face this situation, many of you, it's going to take years to develop the people that are going to be able to tackle assignments like this in a meaningful way. So, but we need to get started immediately. We need to get started immediately. But he, he said, I can't wait and start the development. Pro- I mean, we'll do the development process, but we have to recruit and bring them in. And so they hired people from The Gap and Banana Republic and Nordstrom's and Henry Bendel and, you know, all the great retailers, and they took the top people and brought them in. And guess what? That didn't work either. That's the second part of the case study. Why? Why didn't that work? Because they didn't have an onboarding program. And that's another huge problem we have. We may keep them 
and we send them into action. We deploy them into ministry, but we don't, we don't treat them with respect. What, what don't we do? Well, I wrote down a list here. I'll just share it with you. First of all, we're not, we're not, we, we don't uh, recruit them. We're not asking and seeking them. We're, the challenge of any organization today is finding great people. So you need to seek and pray and look for skilled workers. And we're going to talk about this more later. To ha- but so you have more sufficient help. But then placing people and getting them in a job description with, in, with an organization chart where, where we uh, give them a job description, where we introduce them to people and tell them, why, how precious they are, what their qualifications are, and we, we don't even know how to assimilate them in. The Red Cross eats our lunch when it comes to getting volunteers assimilated into their organization. We've got people that, you know, it's like, well, who are you? Oh, well, you're here to help? Oh, yeah. And is, isn't it interesting? The only person that can recruit people is the pastor. You know, the pastor. Pastor, we need help. Would you make an announcement? No, why don't you go get them? Why don't you find them? Why don't you build relationships and get these people? But we don't train them. We don't develop them. We don't introduce them properly. We do, well, we're busy right now. I don't know. Make yourself practical. You know, dust the FICA plants, and, you know, we'll get to you someday. And, that, and they're gone because we treat them so poorly. So dis- Can you imagine going to work at a, the company you work at, and they treated you like that? Well, just make yourself useful. No, well, there's a training program, there's introductions, there's an orientation, there's all these things. Orientation, what's the mission, what are the objectives, what are the expectations, what are the parameters, what are the standards, the rules, the policies, how do we, all of those things. And I, I'm not even going to read the whole list here. It's exhaustive. Training and developing them, assigning a mentor to them, and making sure they succeed, and making sure that they're still there. So... They, they brought all these people in, and they didn't have an onboarding program. Just threw them in that. They didn't know the culture. They didn't know the DNA. They didn't know how they functioned. They didn't know the terminology, and they failed. These geniuses from other companies failed. So think about volunteers when we put them into action. And let me just tell you a story about me. You know, Carol and I went to Bible college. We were 51. I'll tell you that testimony maybe later. But we, we, uh, one of the, we, I said, I want to be in the inner service, in the uh, inner city ministry. And she said, I want to be on the prayer line and, and, so, and praying. So I said, well, we can do both. You know, we're just here in college, in Bible college. And why don't we do both? And we can do them together. Won't that be nice? So we did the inner city ministry. Now it's time to go to the prayer room. And now I'm Mr. Big Shot from New York, you know, the guy with the big big view of Central Park and everything, you know, all the accoutrements of, of Mr. Big. Okay, now I'm going to the prayer room. I'm scared. I'm, I'm thinking, what do I do? You know, how, what do, you do? how do you pray with people? You know, I didn't know. I'm in Bible college, you know. And, I, and so I, oh, my God, I'm praying that there were 36 phones. I'm praying nobody calls mine. That, I mean, that's, what I, that's how I was praying. Don't call my phone. I was scared. There was, there was no training. They, oh, they gave us a cheat sheet, you know, with all the scriptures. If they say this, then read them this scripture. Well, and I'm scared. What if I can't find? They're suicidal, and I can't find it fast enough, and they die, you know? All right, you can, ha- you can laugh at me. It's all right. But that's exactly what was going on. No training. And Carol said, this is silly. There's no training here. That you can, you know, people don't know what's expected of them. We need, this is an opportunity to train people, to make them more valuable. And we're trying to change lives of people that are calling. 
So she took it upon herself. And very quickly, that became 1,100 volunteers, 75 team captains. She built an infrastructure and trained them so we could respond to people. But that's what, that's what we have to be doing. We have to train people to do these jobs. We have to disciple them for success. Now, I'll tell you one, one more. IBM. IBM would have been right here. I would have used IBM here if it was 25, 30 years ago, the prototype of business in America at the time. They were the, the uh, what do you call it, like the prototype or the, the example of a, of a tremendous company, I, IBM. But, the, but IBM, everybody emulated IBM. Everybody glorified IBM. Everybody, I mean, it got so insane that they said, oh, you, see, I see what you have to be to be successful. You have to have dark suits like they have them, and then those skinny ties that are very conservative, and then you have to have black over-the-calf socks. That's, that's really critical. That's how you build a great company. That's about as dumb as you can get, right? But we have that same mentality in, in the kingdom work. You know, we don't have our own innovation. We just, well, let's see, what is Willie George doing? That's a good idea. Yeah, let's do that. What is Tommy, oh, I get it. You're going to build a big ministry, get a bunch of buses. You know, and we're looking to everybody else but God for what we're supposed to be doing. A lot of good ideas. A lot of good, it, I call it the same thing in minute. It's the black sock syndrome. You know, you want to be successful, wear black socks. You want to be successful, do what somebody else. No, do what God tells you to do. Well, we don't have anybody who can think. I know, that's why we're here. We gotta, we gotta have more people that can think. It, you, you, you can't be the only person thinking, you and two others. We have to have depth of thinking. Then you can give assignments out and we're gonna learn, tomorrow we're gonna learn to work simultaneously, not sequentially. If you have a few people that are silos, that are not generalists and can lead everything, then you, you're not going to get anywhere. We have to have people down deep in the ministry that are satellite CEOs all over the place that when a direction comes down from God, it goes down into the ministry and people are down there working simultaneously. And I'm going to show you how to do that tomorrow. Not sequentially, where we just do one thing at a time. You're not going to get anything done that way. So where was I? IBM. So they, this could have been IBM. And IBM about four or five maybe years ago now, they hired a guy, the board hired Sam Palisamo. See, IBM got so full of themselves, they said, we don't need to change anything. Everybody emulates us. We're, we're brilliant. And they, they got carried away with their own success. They lost focus. That's why it's harder to become who you were meant to be the bigger you get. So they lost focus, the bureaucracy we talked about. So that, that's what they were, a huge bureaucracy that lost focus, didn't change, and so they hired this guy to change things. And so they hired Sam Palisamo. They said, we're paying you good money, big bucks, and we want you to turn this thing around. We got a deal here? And he said, not quite. They said, what? What's the matter? He said, no, I, I'm fine with my compensation, but I, I need to have $100 million in my budget, an additional $100 million. And they said, <laughs> for what? What are you talking about? He said, I need $100 million in my budget. For what? To train 30,000 of our employees to become leaders. And if you give me $100 million, I'll train 30,000 of our employees to become leaders. And he's doing it. When this, before the 
latest debacle, but when the market did go over 14,000, it was because IBM's earnings, were, they're back in the game. They're back, they're back. They lost market share when we were in the high, most highly torqued industry that had known to man, technology. And they lost market share in, a tech, in technology, and that was their business. So this can happen when we don't pay attention, when we're not focused, and when we get full of ourselves and don't make changes. So that they're back in the game. Uh, but let's think about it. $100 million to train 30,000 of our employees to become leaders. So we better get to work here if you're going to build a ministry, if you're going to accomplish things for God. But let me share something with you. I want to talk to you about Grand Central Station because I want you to, I've been pretty hard on you, and I don't apologize for that. Uh, <laughs> I don't apologize for that. That's why I get all those nicknames. But, uh, but I, because I've told you the truth, and, I've, and I hopefully I've, cause you to be receptive to change and be ready to change. And all of those that are going to be viewing this product and on the Internet are going to want to change now. But I, I want to identify with you, and I, wanna I want you to understand that I respect you. I'm still the same guy that thinks the world of you have such a burden for pastors and their leaders, I, and I care about you. So I, I didn't, I'm trying to beat you up, beat you down, but, and I want to I relate to you. I want, uh, you know, we're in this together. But the way, the way I learned this is uh, the hard way, unfortunately. I wasn't trained either. Now listen to this. I went to Navy leadership schools, plural. I went to American Management Association courses. They paid eight and $10,000 to send me to trainings, the corporations that I worked for. I bought some on my own to get as much as I could get. And about six years ago, that may be hard to see, but that's Grand Central Station in New York City. And it's the refurbished Grand Central Station in New York City. It, the marble floors have been sandblasted and cleaned up. The, the beautiful uh, uh, stonework in there. Uh, the constellations, are, the whole universe is in the, in the ceiling of Grand Central Station. And they hung a nice new flag and got rid of all the soot and polished the brass. And I'm on the U.S. on the uh, United Airlines flight where I live, and I turning the Hemisphere magazine, and I come to this page, and I see Grand Central Station for the first time in 23 years since I left New York and worked for the Limited in Columbus, Ohio. I hadn't been back, and when I turned the page, pain shot through my gut. 23 years later, the pain of not knowing how to do the job. I was timid with people. I covered all their mistakes. I didn't tell them the truth. I didn't hold them accountable. I didn't broker out God's the company's work at that time. And I covered, I did a lot of their work for them. I did, that's where I learned all these things. And that was pain. pain. That was shocking to me that 23 years later, I still feel the pain. I hated that job. I hated it. But I like the money. So every day, you can't see in that picture, but there's blurred figures running to the tracks and running to and fro in there. And it's, it's, a, it's a time exposure, and you see the blurred figures running back and forth. And that was me. And there were times when it's painful right now. There were times on the other end of the, well, there it is. You can see it. Under that big, lit, curved window there, there was a staircase, and I would get out of the 
cab on Vanderbilt Avenue. T come down from 9 West 57th Street and try to come and catch a, catch a train back to Connecticut. Two-hour commute so my family could live in the country and I could work in the city. And I, I'd come down, I'd get out of the cab on Vanderbilt Avenue and I'd come to those stairs right there and I was in such pain and it hurt so much. I know what it's like to be you. I know how, this, how hard this is for you. And I, I would go down, instead of going and running to the track, I would go down one more level and just anesthetize myself because it was so painful. I didn't know how to do the job. Nobody ever taught me. They sent me to all those schools. I went to all of those trainings, but nobody showed me the practical application of how do you relate to people? How do you do it face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball? How do you do this with real people in real time on real issues? for a real God. How do you do that? And that's why, that's why I've dedicated the rest of my life. That's what I've dedicated. I just want to help you. That's all I care about. Beyond God and Carol and Brent and my family, all I care about is you. I didn't want to do this. I'm sorry, but this is so strong in me. And it's, that's why I'm so honored to be here today to do this. This brings me the greatest amount of reward and I don't want you to feel this way. I don't want you to have a life like this. The ones we've heard characterized here already just in three or four testimonies. It's, it's not right. God wants this to be joyous for you and fruitful for you. And, and uh, I'm sorry, but obviously this is a significant a part of me. And that's going to do this until I can help as many as I can in my lifetime. But I can't go everywhere. I have to replicate myself. And that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow night. And, but this, this, is, this is where it comes from. Yes, I'm called. And, you know, I've learned God's taught me a lot of things. But I really care. And leaders, the best way I can help your pastor is to help you. Be all you can be for him. So please understand. I, I know what it feels like. Maybe I don't quite feel it like you, but I, I hated that job. That was so frustrating. And I, so tomorrow and the next day and the next day, I'm going to teach you how we have to m put the mechanisms in place, the methods, the systems, and the process to, to free you up so that you will survive and to free you up so, and to, so that you can lead others by example. And they'll see, oh, this is what you do as a leader. Oh, I see it. That's what I need to ascribe to, that. I see what pastor's doing. I see what my CEO is doing. That's what... I need to be for him and for God. A leadership engine is this. It's where leaders at every level of the ministry are training and developing future generations of leaders.